Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties 2. This episode features one of the three guests on my hour-long NPR show, heard every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it has broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know, because I care about people who care about cats, dogs, and other creatures who share our planet. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival and the New York Cat Film Festival, which travel America and Canada supporting local animal welfare groups. I could not bring you this show without the support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian who's created a variety of litters to please any cat, as well as inventing clean protein cat foods based on the protein found in cats' natural prey. This show is also made possible with the generous sponsorship of Waruva, the family-owned foreman pet food company named after their rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa, where all their recipes in cans and pouches are human edible because they're made in a human food facility. Good enough for you to eat, but your cats won't appreciate that. I have such a wonderful, I want to say, new friend. Of course, I don't really know her. But having read this extraordinary book, Sit, Stay, Heal, What Dogs Can Teach Us About Living Well, Dr. Renee Alserif is a veterinary oncologist. She's a cancer specialist who's written a book that is so uplifting, so positive, so full of hope and humor and humanity. It's just great. It's a book about hugging. That's what I've decided at the end of the day. Dr. Renee, thank you for being here. Thank you for writing this beautiful, beautiful book that is so full of information and hopefulness for animals and for people. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Well, here's the thing. It's really hard to say to somebody, gee, your book was so much fun and so interesting when about 50% of the book is about you, the cancer specialist who doesn't use the word cancer, getting the C word herself, and juxtaposing the what you were going through, what you were experiencing emotionally more than even physically, and your patients and their humans, and that juxtaposition and the kind of one oneness of which we talk about in the human-animal bond, and there's all kinds of fancy words, you know, from mm-hmm. ethology about how we, we're all going through the same stuff. We all have the same experience. But you talk in the book about how dogs, in particular, cats too, have such a different experience of having cancer. Is that, do you think, one of the, the primary messages of the book, even for people with cancer or, or living with others with cancer, is how to approach it? I do, you know, and I think because every chapter is about a different patient of mine and so so many different lessons. I think from my perspective, the overriding message um, or theme of the book is dogs, and I certainly could have used cats or, or really any other probably animal, but dogs are not just this great source of comfort, but they are incredible guides for anyone when we struggle. And we all struggle at times. And to have to have a front row seat to the to see the power of the human animal bond and how it plays in our lives, I think is just a gift. Um, I 
do believe that dogs approach the C word, if you will. How's that for dysfunctional? <laughs> I know you're very funny about it in the it. book, though. You're so funny. You <laughs> but just I can't won't say, say it. it. Right. Right. I don't want to own that word. So it's not mine. I didn't ask for it. Um, but they do. They they approach it so much differently. And, and in one part, um, they live in the moment, right? Mm-hmm. They mirror for us mindfulness. I know that I might want to go away for a long weekend with a girlfriend to a spa and it's all about mindfulness and I think I'm going to come back and live my life so much better or differently and come Tuesday that whole mindfulness thing is out the window and yet I would notice that I would worry a week before going for my chemotherapy. I Mm -hmm. would I would try to really control the uncontrollable, right? Mm-hmm. Will they be able to get the catheter in? Will I get sick? What will happen to my hair? And dogs don't have that. They come in, hopefully many of them, wagging their tails, looking for a biscuit. And then after my chemotherapy was done, I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, it took her three times to get the catheter in. What's going to happen next time? You know, will I get sick? And a dog hops off the treatment table and, again, is looking for a treat, They don't waste negative energy, fretting or worrying, which only serves to bring them down. And I think if I could, what I tried to do is use my energy positively to heal, to feel better, to to thwart any side effects that may or may not come. Um, I do think it made a difference. They, They really, they set the bar higher for me. And I, I would even say that they were my recovery role models. And and I think their humans were too. I think that one of the beauties of Sit, Stay, Heal is your depiction of the people who were accompanying the dogs and what their relationship was to the dog, to each other. You start out with just a, a heartwarming and um, humbling situation of Daisy, the chubby, the chubby... <laughs> <laughs> Cocker, Cocker Spaniel, Spaniel yeah, and the mom, and you're a little cranky because you know you've rushed to get mm-hmm. to your office on time, and the patient is late, and in she comes pushing her adopted special needs child in her wheelchair mm-hmm. with her feeding tube, and Daisy, who is wearing, well, describe Daisy because when you talk about her coming when you put her down off the table and how how she fills out her Elsa co- costume very fully <laughs> and yes she's always looking for a biscuit i mean talk about this this bundle of joy this cocker with cancer who lifted everyone's spirits cuz she was always in an outfit oh my goodness yes so the the little girl uh Kathy in the book obviously names had to be changed she loved all the Disney princesses, but her favorite was Elsa. So the Cocker Spaniel would often come in dressed as one of the Disney princesses, but usually she was a darling in that blue dress. But she was an overweight (laughs) 10-year-old Cocker Spaniel with warts and sebaceous cysts and all. And it didn't matter, right? They loved her just the same. We I lament when I look in the mirror if I have, I don't know, some eczema on my face or something, right? And yet we love our dogs. It doesn't matter if they're drooling or have wrinkles. But Daisy models this magical quality that dogs have. Just like Elsa, and I have to admit I never saw the the movie or the cartoon, but 
I guess Elsa has this magical ability to manipulate snow and ice to make life better. Daisy does for her family. She was a constant companion for the special needs girl, always by her wheelchair. The girl, in addition to having to be fed with a feeding tube, could not speak by mouth. She um, only had very limited use of of her hands and arms. Um, So communicating was, was not so easy. But Daisy understood what her girl meant and was saying without words. Unfortunately, Kathy also had epilepsy. And Daisy, without any formal training or any amateur training, became a seizure alert dog. Yeah, you for mentioned that. that. Family. You mentioned right? that. And I was like, like wow, she really yeah. did alert them. And then didn't you also Correct. say that Daisy herself was epileptic, but it was completely under control with medication? Yes. Correct. I mean, there right? were just the so irony many of that. Yeah, there were so many human animal bridges. But I think that the way you approach the humans in the book is something that makes cancer in our animals. The book really, I think, gives a lot of uplift because of your kindness towards the people and you're trying very hard to understand them. Who were they? What was their relationship to the animal? What was their concern about mortality, their own mortality? You you had a shrink who was so despondent and so monosyllabic and, and taciturn. And then over time, you discovered something about him and, and his dog, which was a very Correct. interesting one about which of us will go first. T- tell that anecdote. Okay. So um, a gentleman who originally identified himself as Mr. Bean, and he came in with his also overweight beagle named <laughs> Bentley. <laughs> Bentley had a prostatic tumor carcinoma. Um, but the gentleman was very terse, um, spoke in just short little kind of curt sentences, even if they were sentences, and clearly irritated, you know, always tapping his toe, looking at his watch, didn't want to be there. As the story unfolds, or as the true life events unfolded, um, I learned that he was a psychiatrist, which didn't add up, right? They're usually warm, they want to talk, they, you know, they're open. Um, But he was a gentleman who had gone through, I don't want to say misdiagnoses, but his diagnosis for his clinical signs took an awfully long time, and ultimately he ended up with end-stage colon cancer. Um, and he was struggling. His, his his whole goal or his whole question to me was, um, hey, doc, who's going to die first, me or my dog? And that's certainly a race that nobody wants to win. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but Yeah, right? But, but I, I understand. But it, what was interesting is that none of these people revealed themselves immediately. It was Correct. you with your compassion and empathy and patience. You didn't force people to tell you anything, but you made it available. And in so many cases, Renee, you wound up hugging these people, even though that may not be the usual greeting or, or you know, leaving right. salutation with people. But you really you really talk about the power of a hug and i think that touches something 
we don't do very much in America in general, mm -hmm. let's say compared to Italy or France. And certainly COVID made everybody step three steps back in addition. But I think the value of a hug, you bring it up and it's just really giant about how it gives release and relief, but also a sense of camaraderie. And I'm yeah. sure that it's you must have, that, that must have, I hope, somehow spilled over into your own treatments, which you write about in a way that's not depressing or, you know, oh God, I can't read about what Renee had to go through because you really are, are mostly concerned with the superficial stuff because that's where we put our anxiety. Is my skin going to be burned and, you know, slathering right. on cream and stuff and being funny. Like uh, the right. funny, the funny one that really made me laugh out loud was when you were first diagnosed and you said to your husband, who's also a veterinarian, a, an, an ophthalmologist, um, well, I'm not going to need my retirement money, so I think I should go shopping, a lot of shopping. <laughs> it was great. It's like, you know, it's those terrible ideas that we have that are just like off the wall at the worst times mm -hmm. in our life. I thought it was adorable. But oh, but the you. hugging, I mean, is that something yeah. that you tried to bring to your, your own treatment, to the treatment center, to the nurses looking after you? A little bit, but I have to tell you, it made so many of them uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I didn't care. I kept mm -hmm. at it, right? Because I knew I needed it. Yep. Um, just though the, the astronomical benefits of a hug, or sometimes if you know someone needs a hug, even if they can't verbalize it, to hug them, but then just to hold on for yes. a few more seconds, mm -hmm. and you feel their shoulders drop. You feel that internal sigh from them and it can be so healing that one simple thing by putting your arms around someone yep and so i hope that with covid or whatever the iteration of it is being to some extent in the in the rearview mirror i i've i've taken to hugging people i think we all became too distant and i think it was very i know a lot of people who must have been on some sort of edge of mental illness and tipped over into full-blown some kind mm -hmm. of their own kind of mental illness during COVID. The isolation was too much. The distancing was too much. The So I think that mm -hmm. to those of us that can do it, our dogs do teach us that. I'm sure many of us have our dogs and cats that insist oh. upon, you know, my mouse hand. If I stay too long at the computer, Maisie's bonking my hand and bonking my forearm and your book is very good at making us realize she's noticing something, whether she wants yeah. it or she thinks I need it. Give it, be there, you know. Yeah, yeah. One well, quick and, thing. And one of the. I'm sorry. Oh, go, ahead. go ahead. I interrupted you. No, that's okay. One quick thing that I just wanted to mention that is missing in the book, and it's obviously by choice, is you don't talk at all about the cost of chemotherapy and radiation and these these many many vet visits. And mm -hmm. I, I think that is the big elephant in the room for many patients, human patients, and oncologists in particular. So yet again, may I say to people, get pet insurance now. I don't care if your dog is seven. I don't care if your dog is seven weeks. Get pet insurance because yeah. what Dr. Renee Alcerf did for these dogs and can do for other dogs and cats is not possible on most people's pocketbook because there's a lot of zeros after the digit. Correct. And and let me interject two things. One specifically about that. There, I could have written about so many other patients of mine um, 
you know, I have lists and lists of, of life lessons, but one um, story that did not make it into the book just because of the size of the book um, is there was this gentleman who would come. He had a little Shih Tzu um, who had lymphoma. She was darling. And I could never really connect with the gentleman. He always just sat in the waiting room. If I asked him a question, he'd look down at his shoes or at his feet. He was very, very quiet. At first I thought, oh, he's shy. He'll come around. I treated his little Shih Tzu for about a year and a half, um, and it was always that way. Unfortunately, eventually, around you know a year and a half later, um, we did lose the battle for his dog. And about a month later, he sent me mailed to me at the at the veterinary hospital a big Manila envelope with some photos of his dog and a handwritten note or a couple of pages, and it was as if all of a sudden. He was uncorked, and he told me his story that this dog they had purchased as a therapy dog for their 23-year-old daughter who was struggling and had passed away two months before the dog um, got lymphoma. And so he and his wife obviously wanted to do anything possible for their dog because it was their only living, breathing memory still of their daughter what he never shared with me and this is why i want to tell your audience share with your veterinarian what he didn't share with me is that they couldn't afford it so after his regular day job he worked the midnight shift at the local grocery store cutting cold cuts i might cry sorry cutting cold cuts for the, the the shoppers the next morning in order to pay for the chemotherapy. Now, most of us veterinarians have the biggest, softest heart around, and let us know that yes, that exactly. you're struggling, that you're having trouble making ends meet. We will There's really always try. a way. There is. Yes. There is always a way. We will try hard. Yeah. Renee, we've run uh, out of time, which is terrible, okay. but I know that you and I are going to start doing the Pet Cancer Vet Show again, so everyone can listen for that very soon, and we'll be full of inspiration and information and advice, and uh, there are foundations like Waggle Foundation that will help with bills, but we will do a whole show on that later. This is a wonderful book, Sit, Stay, Heal, What Dogs Can Teach Us About Living Well. Please get it. It will make you happy. Thanks, Dr. Renee Serif. Thank you for listening. There are a few more special companies that make this show possible. I hope you will support all of these companies because they stand behind my mission, which is to bring you delightfully informative pet talk radio. Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, creates holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. They make many non-chemical products for the inside and outside of your pets, as well as innovative foods like no-hide chews and the hybrid dry food wisdom, which sometimes is all that my Weimaraner Maisie will eat. I'm very grateful also to Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two extraordinary women, Allison and Hannah, who cook dog food from the most pristine human edible ingredients and ship it to your door in frozen pouches. It's higher quality and more ethically sourced than my own food. Thanks again for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this one guest version of Dog Talk and Kitties 2, and we'll listen to other episodes sometime soon.